The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And helping us find food truth today is Elisa Hammond. Now, I have to tell you, I met Elisa Hammond in an airport. She just had one of these faces and looks that made me feel like she was a warm and friendly person And I asked if she was heading to the same conference I was, and indeed we were. We were headed to the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service Conference. It was a cold, cold February, but Elisa was one of many attendees that made the meeting so warm and meaningful. So, Elisa, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on because you have an incredible position. You work for Cliff Bar as a corporate ecologist. What is that? My um, background is in ecology and agronomy, and I was invited to work at Cliff Bar originally to work on a transition to organic ingredients back in 2000. But the more we looked at it, the more we realized we needed a holistic sustainability program, and that's really a a great place for an ecologist to be. We looked at Cliff Bar and looked at everything we did with that all-things-are-connected ecological perspective. And they asked me, what should my title be? And I just said, ecologist. So I was staff ecologist at Cliff Bar for many years. And now I have an additional title, Director of Environmental Stewardship. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, before the show, we were talking a little bit, and you mentioned how you became involved with Cliff Bar. And it was too good of a story to waste on pre-interview conversation. So how did you get connected with Cliff Bar? Many years ago, almost 30 years ago, I was a student of agronomy at California Polytechnic State University. I was a kid from the suburbs of Fremont, California, but very interested in organic gardening and farming, and so I went to study agriculture there. At that time, the professors were very committed to conventional agriculture. They told me that I was just a mixed-up girl, and they would set me straight. But... Over those many years, we created a strong network of students committed to alternative agriculture and a group that was very concerned about world hunger. And it was in that group addressing world hunger that I met Gary Erickson, the founder of Cliff Bar. And he was a student of business, and I was a student of agriculture, and we found this common ground in talking about how each of our businesses seemed to be wreaking havoc on the planet and on people's lives in search of short-term profit. Yeah. And so really what we were talking about was sustainability, but that word wasn't being used at that time. But we had long, meaningful conversations about a different way to create a food system. So that's where that conversation eventually brought me to the job I've been in now for the past 10 years. But along the way, I, I was never interested in working in business I didn't know I'd go on to do graduate work in ecology. I was very interested in going overseas and working on small-scale farming systems. So eventually after college, I ended up in Mexico, and I worked there for four years, kind of one step forward, two steps backwards, but doing education work at different villages in southern Veracruz on um, organic gardening and sometimes helping people 
learn how to do accounting and at night by candlelight, and I loved that work. But I tell you, Melinda, I felt that my study in agriculture was really inadequate because I had studied all this conventional chemical-based agriculture in school, and what really um, one needs, especially in tropical systems, is an ecological understanding, and I think actually all farming systems need that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what, what you thought was your biggest lesson that you learned when you were down working in Veracruz. And was it that things are all connected and that we need to be looking at the world through ecologically colored glasses? I saw, you know, I saw what inappropriate development projects can do. You know, on one hand, I was there teaching organic gardening, and I saw people create some amazing vegetable gardening systems using compost, using double-dig methods. I also saw some big projects come into very poor villages, where they brought in loans and built high-tech pens for chickens or pigs, where the animals' housing was better than people's, and then all the money went to buying that, what I call, green revolution feed. Mm. And I, I just saw the devastation that inappropriate development brings. I really wanted to go back to graduate school and study ecology. Mm-hmm. And, and I also got very interested in forests. In my last year in Mexico, I was hired to study the contribution that small-scale wood harvesting contributed to deforestation and watersheds. And then I began to understand the connection between forests and healthy soils and water. So understanding about natural resource use just kept getting bigger and bigger for me. But I'll tell you, I think, Melinda, the most important thing I took away from Mexico is people would say to me, what are you doing here, Elisa? Why don't you go home and fix your own country? That stuck with me in a powerful way, and I knew that eventually I would. Wow. Yeah. You know, people, people understand what needs to be fixed. Yeah. But I think it's really important for us if you can go out and see how other people live and see how other people farm and use resources. It, it helps us see the world in a clearer, maybe more effective way. You know, I remember when we first met, you had described your experience that you've accumulated over time before you came to this position and you tell young people what you do and everybody's like wow you know I want to be a I want to be an ecologist for a business and one of the things you said to me was I think that it's very important before you step into a position like yourself you have to have some field experience yeah I totally agree with that and also field experience is what life is about right <laughs> you know you don't study ecology or food systems because you want to be at behind a desk writing on a computer all day. You want to be out with trees and soils and animals and thinking about how things are connected. Right. One would hope. And so, Melinda, just a little side note. Later on in graduate school, I um, along the way, I met my husband, who's a tropical forest ecologist, and we went on to live in the Amazon for a couple of years. He was there for three years, and I was there for a year. And then we lived in western Borneo. And in those places, he studied how people used forests, and I studied how people farm traditionally using agroforestry systems. So that, that big picture of thinking about farming systems and food systems and how they're linked to uh, bigger resource issues like forests and water and biodiversity, that was my background before I came to Cliff Bar. What was the hardest thing for you when you returned to the United States? Oh, it was um, the isolation. I think that 
our culture, we're so isolated from one another. And so I really lacked the vibrant community that I felt we had the last place we lived, which was in West Kalimantan. But, you know, I found that community again working at Cliff Bar and working in this, you know, the food movement. I agree. Yeah, I, I often tell my husband that what I think I found with the, with the true sustainability movement and the organic movement is a tremendous network of genuine people that is not present in other, in other business models. I agree. I agree. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about some of the work that you do with Cliff Bar. It'll tell me, describe a typical day for me. You know what? I often say that this position is about being an educator and an encourager, sometimes a cheerleader, sometimes a researcher. But basically, to get really good sustainability work done in any business, the best work comes from the ground up. It comes from the um, different departments where people are working. We've made some great progress on packaging. For example, nine years ago, we were using virgin paperboard for our caddies, the paperboard boxes where you see a dozen cliff bars or luna bars. And someone in operations got excited about the idea of sustainability and on his own researched all the different possibilities for using 100% recycled paperboard. Those kinds of ideas come when people are educated and empowered to pursue options that are more sustainable. Mm. So I think a lot of my day is often on the phone or talking to people about what ideas they have in their own department to improve things. Well, you had described to me some of the changes that had been made just in the time that you were there. So in, in 2001, when you first came versus today, how many millions of pounds of food are you now buying that are organic, that are certified organic? Well, when um, I first came, we were not an organic food company at all. And, in fact, I was hired to help us look at that option because it's such an environmentally sound way to raise food. So we went from 2001, zero pounds, or, and then in two, by 2002 we had purchased two million pounds. But this last year, I think, we're up to nearly 35 million pounds, between 32 and 35 million pounds of organic, almost 70% of everything we buy. So think about how many thousands of acres of land and how many people are not exposed to pesticides and synthetic fertilizers that don't get into our water system because of this demand that's created for organically raised crops. I think it's absolutely fantastic, Elisa. And I'll tell you, one of the things that our listeners may not realize is that really if you're not buying a certified organic product, you are very likely consuming genetically modified ingredients. And people may think, well, you know, what does that mean? Well, we have to understand that genetically modified crops from which you know we get those ingredients are genetically modified to withstand chemical herbicide and pesticide sprays. So, and if you just look at anything out there on the shelf, I think it's now at least 70% of commercial products in the supermarket contain at least one genetically modified ingredient, which have never been tested for long-term safety, either for public health or the environment. 
So I think it's even more important for people to use their food dollars as votes to say, you know, I really like this company is buying so many more millions of pounds of organic food. That's good for me and that's good for the environment. I think it's so important for consumers to understand that they have so much power, more power than they realize, to drive change in business. Yeah. And by asking, calling up, you have an 800 number on, you know, a box of cereal in front of you. Sometimes I call it my 800 phone call that when I'm making dinner. I'll see something, I'll call the company up and ask, are, are you using genetically modified ingredients or why are you using this kind of plastic? Just asking questions. And I know people in businesses will listen to what their consumers are concerned about. Yeah. So I really um, think it's important to have, again, those conversations that create change. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's a great alliteration, too, conversations to create change. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Elisa Hammond, and Elisa is an ecologist working for business. She works for Cliff Bar, and she does an amazing amount of work to promote sustainable and organic food and farming and sustainable work environments. You know, Lisa, I think sometimes if anybody has spent a long time or any time calling these 800 numbers, sometimes we feel like our comments or questions and concerns fall on deaf ears or we don't get very far. And yet I agree with you when you say that there are people actually tracking those calls, having business meetings around what consumers are asking for. So I want to join you in a charge to invite consumers to make more of those important phone calls. Yeah, I, I really know that's true. And not, we have a wonderful consumer services department that really listens to everyone. When they have questions about environmental questions, I will get those questions and be asked to provide an answer. And I know in other businesses, they, maybe you've seen a person's question is ignored, but someone is tallying how many times someone's coming up with that comment. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you a question uh, because you are an ecologist and it's such a, joy to speak to somebody with that knowledge and that background. What do you think are some of the most troubling issues facing our planet today? Oh, I think the mother of all environmental issues is global warming, mm. you know, without a doubt. And even if you um, ignored global, global warming and just talked about our addiction to fossil fuels and what that has caused clearly with the BP oil spill, with you know, mountaintop removal of coal mines, no matter what stage of the process where you're extracting the the fossil fuel or at combustion where you're creating um, mercury pollution that gets into our food system when you burn coal. This addiction to fossil fuels is causing problems we are unaware of. For example, the acidification of oceans. As more carbon dioxide goes into our oceans, It's becoming an increasingly acidic environment. And while we hear about the truly the dangers of um, temperature rise, there's also this problem of acidification of the oceans that will affect fisheries that is extremely severe. And the other thing I find encouraging, though, especially as we're talking about food, Mm -hmm. the solutions to global warming also brings so many other positive solutions. You know, we know from recent president's report on cancer, um, all these, for example, the hormone-disrupting chemicals that are in plastics. Plastics, you know, come from petrochemicals. 
as we find more sustainable, healthy materials to use in our lives, whether it's for fuel or for consumer goods, the environment will be healthier and our families will be healthier. And the, the other thing that's so important to understand is that this link between food and climate. It's estimated that a third of greenhouse gases are somehow related to food, whether it's transformation of wildlands into farmland or the use of um, synthetic fertilizers, which originally are made from natural gas and then, then created using high levels of energy. And then the alternative, organic farming, instead of chemical fertilizers, you've got to put organic matter into the soil. And research shows that year after year after year, the organic matter is building up in the soil. And those long-term side-by-side studies that the Rodale has had for over 25 years show that there's an average of um, something like 3,000 pounds of CO2 building up, equivalents building up in the soil through um, organic management. So one of the most um, exciting solutions to addressing global warming is to change our food system. And it's something you can do three times a day to be part of that solution. Right. Well, you know, I had read an article. There was an interview with you in a wonderful newsletter from Green America. And in that interview, you had described how you had redesigned the the packaging of the bars that saved 90,000 pounds of shrink wrap every year. I just want you to know that wasn't me. That was, again, someone else that, you know, had their eye on opportunities to reduce waste. I see. Really, that was an incredibly savvy redesign where before each caddy was closed with shrink wrap, now they redesigned and added a perforated top, which you'll see that in any store that you see Cliff Bars, and it eliminated now, you know, if you added up how many years we haven't used shrink wrap, that's millions and millions of pounds. I was so amazed at that simple design change to reduce waste upstream in the supply chain. And it's wonderful that the employees at Cliff Bar feel like they're being listened to, and it must be very empowering when they see an idea come to fruition. Oh, you know what? There's so many different ideas that have come out of the creative thinking. of When we first started talking about the connection between food and business and global warming, our field marketing crew, which Cliff Bar doesn't do advertising. We just go out to events and meet people and give product away. So we think if people try the product, they'll like it. That's interesting. They wanted to see how could we do this in a way that's more consistent with the sustainability vision. So they created the first ever climate-neutral mobile marketing tour in a truck that ran on all biodiesel. I think this was back in 2004. And then they created um, brochures that was education about what you can do to reduce your carbon footprint. And that use of biodiesel inspired the rest of the company. We took the rest of our company fleet. By 2007, all of our vehicles were running on biodiesel. And that's a small fleet, but it's about a little less than 20. I think we had one Prius and the rest biodiesel. Then we um, started shipping some of our product that goes from the bakeries to the warehouse on B100 biodiesel. So I just saw one good idea at Cliff Bar multiply in um, different positive ways through the company. Alisa, where are Cliff Bars produced? 
the company's based in Berkeley, and the bakeries are in Southern California. I see. And then they are distributed all over the country. I know I can go any in any number of places here in the Midwest, and I can find Cliff Bars, and they're very tasty. So for any listeners who have not tried one, they are truly nutritious, delicious, and planet-saving. Thank you, Melinda. You know, I just wanted to tell you, as just thinking about applying ideas to other businesses, yeah. I told people there are three concepts that, I've, or, or, that I say have in your toolkit. One is to, as a food company, think about what is sustainable organic food and farming and how to support that. The other one is climate neutral. Think about energy and how that's related to your carbon footprint and what can you do to have a climate neutral company. And then the third concept that is really powerful is zero waste. And zero waste is a vision where there is no such thing as waste and that you try to design for zero waste upstream. And we still have a long way to go. Our wrappers are not recyclable, although we do have a program now now called TerraCycle where those wrappers can be made into different things and nonprofits can raise money at the same time. But Mm -hmm. sometime in the future, we hope to have that compostable a wrapper or a wrapper that truly is sustainable. But those three concepts I feel are really powerful. Sustainable, ag, zero waste, and climate neutral. And I think that those are things that can be done both in businesses as well as homes. I mean, just striving to reduce the waste stream. Although I do think that sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this from a business angle, that when there's a financial incentive attached to doing the right thing, it helps move it along. Oh, I, I agree. And that's why I think we need to have a vision of institutional change. You know, we need to change our own lives, but we also need to envision a future where institutions are helping people do the right thing. So you don't have to stop and think, do I want food with toxic pesticides or without? That um, we've got a new system in place where all the food you buy is, has been raised in a sustainable way. Elisa, we just have another minute. Would you like to leave us with a, a comment or say something that I neglected to ask or leave us with a charge? I, I love the work you're doing. I think that food speaks to everyone at every, in every place in the world, at every stage of life, and food has a powerful impact on the environment. And so everyone that's involved with food are, can really create powerful changes. You know, whether you have a business that makes food or not, you have people, you have cafeterias, you have links to food through school systems, and that as we look for effective ways to create change, staying close to the food movement is really, really critical. Mm-hmm. And understanding how important food is, for example, to, these, to global warming, the mother of all environmental issues that will affect our food system in the future, we can have a positive impact by making sustainable food choices. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to thank you and thank Cliff Bar for having the vision to recognize the importance of sustainability in their food production. And I think that we then, on the consuming side, can say, you know, this is the company that I want to vote for. I'd like to see them continue. I'd like to, to see them grow. You know, we spend plenty of time looking at, at industries and companies that are making poor choices the flip side of that is to reward the company that's making the smart choice. And certainly hiring an ecologist is a wonderful beginning. And, Melinda, you know, one thing I'd like to say is we, we have a long way to go. You know, 
But one thing that we've always said, in addition to conversation creating change, is that partnerships matter. So I think so much of the progress we've made is because we've been learning from nonprofit partners like Organic Farming Research Foundation, Organic Seed Alliance, Center for Food Safety. So I just would like to end by saying creating those ongoing authentic partnerships where you learn, that has been a foundational piece of our program, and I'm so grateful to those many groups that are out there. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Alisa, you had mentioned the root words of economy and ecology being the same. Tell me about that. In both the word ecology and economics, you have echoes, which means home. And ecology is the study of our home, you know, the watersheds where we live, our planet, our ecosystems. And economics is the efficient management of the home. And I think you'll see that we've managed our home very badly. So I always say that an ecologist is part of business. It fits right in with economics. You know, one thing I wanted to tell you is that um, as you think about the importance of business to create change is to consider that out of the 100 largest economies of the world, 51 are global corporations. Just number 12 on the list is Walmart, bigger than 161 countries. So as we think about trying to create a more healthy, just, and sustainable world, we really need to think about how do we transform businesses. I love that. Transform businesses. That is beautiful. Elisa, this has been a fascinating but short, too short conversation. But I want to thank you so much for being with me. We've been speaking with Elisa Hammond, who works as an ecologist for Cliff Bar. And uh, we'll make sure to post a link to Cliff Bar on our KOPN website. That's www.kopn.org. And I want to thank you so much, Elisa, for spending time with us today. And I want to thank our listeners for, for joining with us as well. Just a reminder that Food Sleuth Radio is brought to you at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you so much.